my core is a Jew. And I think it's important to describe what that is. Yes, it's a nationality. Me and my husband, we say we never use the R word, the religion. What is a Jew? This world is made up of godly coding. And everything in the world has its identity based on God's code. So a tree, a spruce tree has spruce tree coding in the form of Hashem's words, right? A Jew has a Jewish soul with Jewish coding. And I show up, I interface with God's world as God's purest expression called Jew, called Yehudi. Hello there. We are back. Did you notice we were gone the last couple of weeks? I know. I know. I know. My family just moved across the country and I needed a quick pause. I did not realize I was taking a pause until I was taking one, which is why I did not give fair warning. I know I want you to know that we will always be there for you on Sunday morning. We did take a quick pause. We are back better than ever. I am so excited about today's episode, but first I just want to say thank you to our sponsor, Shana Rifkin, for sponsoring today's episode in honor of her birthday, which is on Yudshvat. Yudshvat, Shana, by the way, you have the best birthday ever. That's a pretty holy day to be born. Thank you for sponsoring today's episode. May all the learning and growth done through this episode be in the merit of your joy, happiness, success in this upcoming year. Happy birthday, Shana. If you are listening to this and would like to sponsor an episode of the podcast, please reach out to us at info at humanandholy.com or visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor to sponsor an episode or given any amount. We are so grateful to our sponsors for making each episode of the podcast happen. Today's episode is an interview with Hannah Dubinsky, who is a young woman, a shlucha in the jungle of Costa Rica, and a really real person who's going to talk to us today about how we perceive ourselves as Jews, as bodies and souls, and how we relate to all the different parts of who we are. I loved Hannah's energy. She's deep and she's also really funny at the same time and just has the best vibe. I had the greatest hour connecting with her and I think you're going to feel like you're just listening to a friend. My God. Yeah. I want to see your jungle mom look though. I thought I was going to get that. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. No, it's so fun. You'll come. You'll see the jungle mom. Yeah. Oh my God. see all the jungle moms with their jungle kids. The jungle moms with the jungle kids. It's the best. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So introduce yourself. Tell us your name and tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what you love. Hi, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. Such a schuss. So, so cool to meet you. So cool to meet you. I'm so excited to enter this conversation and invite everybody listening into this conversation because I know when I listen to podcasts that resonate, it feels like I'm there in the room with people. And I want to say, if anybody's listening to this, I'm inviting you into the space with us. My name is Hannah, as I said, Hannah Dubinsky. I grew up in Crown Heights. I grew up in a home that was super colorful, very, very rich in a love for Judaism, filled with stories of tzaddikim, filled with Jews of every single background. I mean, we used to have this joke at our Shabbos table that if there weren't more than four languages at our Shabbos table, then it wasn't complete. I feel like that added so much to the way I look at the world and the way I was able to understand the Rebbe's outlook on the world, which is that Tyra is MS and eternal, and the Jewish people are MS and eternal. So even if we look different on the outside, the essence of the Torah connects to the essence of the Jew, no matter how they look, and no matter how they look physically, but also no matter how they look mentally and emotionally. So it really gave me 
a grounding and an openness to look at people with an openness. I went through the system, loved, loved being a part of the Lubavitch world, always felt like I needed a little bit of quiet, quote unquote, to really meet God in my own way. And I had this fantasy in my mind. I painted this picture of myself sitting on a hill in Aristotle. And I said, I'm not going to make a decision on whether or not I believe in the construct, let's just say, of Judaism until I give myself a year to meet God. And I had this picture in my mind and I said, I'm going to meet God. I know it. I purposely chose not to go to Israel for Sem because I didn't want to confuse the two experiences. I said, I'll give myself a year to study Hasidic philosophy seminary, which might sound funny, but it's actually what happened. It was an incredible year. I learned so much Hasidus. And then I said, after that, I'm going to go to Israel and I'll meet God. And that is exactly what happened. I have no idea how. I went on a Taglit birthright experience and we were in the hotel the last day getting ready to leave. And I called my mom and I I had this brokenness in me. I said, I, I can't get on the plane. And I thought she was going to talk me out of it and I'd get on the plane. And she said, so don't. And I was like, what do you mean don't? She's like, just don't go on the plane. Stay in Israel. She says, when you're in Eretz Israel, God takes care of you. You know, like those like little characters we used to play in Roller Coaster Tycoon. You could just grab them by their <laughs> shirt, you know, like swing them and put them down. Like that's literally what happens in Eretz Israel. Oh my God. I mean, I guess that happens everywhere, but you really see it in Eretz Israel. So I went to the airport and you have to do that on birthright. You have to end at the airport and then you can go and do your own thing. So went to the airport. My best friend was there with me. I started crying. She started crying. And we just both knew this was going to be a life-changing experience, which it was. And very, very short, I ended up staying there. I found a farm to live on, a giant farm. They produce 80% of the organic eggs in Israel. They produce organic goat milk and goat cheese. And I spent a year as a shepherd learning about the earth, learning about animals, and just meeting God. And I kid you not, the image I had in my head was the gift I ended up receiving. I used to sit on these hills and just talk to God. And I feel like once I met him there, and we could go into what that means. I really made a decision in my mind and it was it was so clear to me that this is what I wanted and I was going to invest in the pursuit of finding answers to the things that didn't make sense, the things that didn't sit well, and I wasn't going to only pursue my intellectual self. I was also going to invest in my spiritual self. And that brings us here today, I'm married, Baruch Hashem. We have two beautiful boys, and we're in Shluchas in Costa Rica. It's a little jungle town, literally jungle town. People walk around barefoot with their surfboards. It's literally the jungle meets the ocean, mm. and it's very thrilling, very challenging, but so much fun. And yeah, here we are today. Okay. Wow. I have so many questions. First, I, I would love if you could help us understand what you meant when you said, I wanted to meet God and what you mean when you say I met God. So walk us through both the fantasy and the fulfillment of that fantasy. So I think the first part of the question probably has more of a childish or adolescent layer to it. It was definitely a childish fantasy of, or adolescent fantasy of there's so much pain in this world. And I was in so much pain in high school. You know, I, I'd sit in the back of the class and listen to Bob Dylan and be like, this is holier than your Chumash class, you know, type of thing. You know, he gets it. Why don't you type mm. of thing? And I felt like I had that fantasy of just wanting to be out in the open in nature, which I think is actually a very emistic idea. You know, the Baal Shem Tov used to go into the forest and connect to Hashem in that way. So I had that fantasy of running away from the Balagan mm. and going into falling into the open arms of this all loving parental gentle figure. That was the fantasy part. The second part was, I would say twofold. One was that it was a healing experience, but the healing wasn't the only reason why I think I chose to pursue truth because that could happen to many people. I mean, most people in cults are super intellectual. They're looking to make the world a better place and they love healing. And, you know, they give their lives over to the cult because they had this healing, enlightening experience. And I didn't want that. I didn't want to get swept up into a way of life because something felt good, especially 
being a teenager, knowing that I didn't know so much, but I did feel safe and I trust my gut, which I think is important. I think I was lucky enough to be someone whose gut was so like, my gut doesn't have that many opinions. You know, it's very okay with things. And my gut felt safe and secure in all the chassidus I was learning and in being in Eretz Yisrael. I felt a certain wholeness and it kind of made me feel like everything I'd ever learned that resonated as truth and the experience I was having here of healing, connection, and holiness felt the same, like they were cousins or like, yeah, like they were the same flavor. They were different things. Like you can have like a basil ice cream and a basil chicken, but that undertone is there. And it's just like, yes, this is it. This is it. I'm going to pursue it. It matched. It was right. Mm. So I think that was the end of the beginning for me. And it's a, it's constant. Like sometimes I totally forget the flavor or I get really confused by the flavor or it's like COVID. There's no flavor here at all. You know, oh. it took people years to get their flavor back. Really, we get like emotional viruses, you know? I love where you're taking the metaphor. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. The reason why I asked you what it felt like, what the fantasy was and what it felt like to meet God is not because I don't think the poetic definition of meeting God is beautiful, but I think because everyone has a different definition of what that actually feels like in their own life to meet God and what they are seeking when they say they seek to meet God. Was the fantasy as a young person, was that to quiet out the external noise? Was the fantasy of a hilltop, the quiet, the nature... Uh, the lack of other voices and just to hear your own? What was? That's so interesting. I never thought of that. I was going to say that it was wanting to find that place of like intellectual and emotional balance, Mm. but using your concept of voices. Yes. Because I think that all cultures have like some sort of emotional gunk that comes up and it could kind of cover this like gorgeous diamond we have, this Tyra, this MS, this Hasidus. I didn't want my opinion of the world and my opinion and experience of Tyra and MS to be clouded by any of the dysfunctions that were around me, familial, societal, whatever it is. So that's so interesting. I've never thought about that, but I guess the answer is, yeah, I needed to like lower the volume there so that everything else could really shine. Thank you for that. Yeah. And by the way, once I was able to quiet those voices and let, and let this one go up, I was able to come back and have like such a softness and gentle way of perceiving all the people and all the systems involved in what I perceived as dysfunctional Judaism. Because I saw that parts of them were connected to truth and parts of them were connected to trauma right? Like our communities come from trauma and they also come from Tyra. So we have the opportunity to kind of slowly separate it. And I'm not going to say separate the good from the bad because who's to say what's good and what's bad, but to really find the Tyra inside of the trauma. T for T. T for T. Yeah. (laughs) Let's break it down for you. T for T. I love the trust. I have to say that I love the trust that you had in knowing that when you would quiet that noise, that that's what you would find, that when you would leave everything and technically go away from all of the communal, I don't want to say pressure, but it's more just like the communal environment that sort of like held the Torah in place in your life, that you, when you would go away from that, you would actually meet God. So I'm wondering if you had any fear going into the experience. Did you have any fear of what would happen when you detached yourself, moved to this place, became a shepherd for a year away from your environment, fear that you would lose that connection or that Yiddishkeit that you'd experienced previously? I think I was afraid that I would lose a certain Hasidishkeit. I was also very excited to lose that. And I am in retrospect, very happy that I lost my concept of it and in place gained a more authentic version. Does that make sense to you? Tell me more. Yeah. I think that growing up in Crown Heights, there's definitely a certain idea of what a Hasidish person is. And experiencing the MS of the Rebbe, I wanted to be a Hasid. But experiencing the distaste of the Hasidish 
style of being for me, distaste for some people, not, I couldn't reconcile the two. So I was scared to lose that Hasidishness because that was the ultimate thing I really wanted to be. But I was so excited because the way it was presented in the community wasn't what I wanted to be. It was like, I wanted to be truly Hasidish. Did I want to be what my school called Hasidish? Absolutely not. I'm going to run away and I'm going to tell you straight to your face. This is not what I want. And I would. And I had such wonderful, amazing teachers and principals who would engage with me in those conversations. And we'd speak openly about it. Like, I do not want to look like you or sound like this or think like that. And they would say, I hear you. I hear you. And they would also say, I don't understand you. I think now there's a lot more language to understand people who think like this and the world has become a lot more open. But then these conversations weren't being had so much. They started to be had, I would say, like as I got 12th grade seminary post. But when you're younger, I was never ostracized and never labeled as like a rebellious kid. I wasn't a great student, but there was a lot of just kindness, even if there wasn't acceptance. And I always felt that. And I, I love, love our community for that. And I think all Jewish communities have that where there is a lot of people who don't feel accepted, but there's a love. I always knew I was loved. Like I would ditch school a lot. I had no idea this podcast was going here at all. I haven't talked about this in years, but I would ditch school a lot just so I could go on my bike and wander and wonder. It was such a thrill. I'd go to Park Slope and go to Barnes & Noble and I'd ignore my principal's calls and she would not stop calling me. And I'd answer and she'd say, I really wanted you to come. And you know, the whole Russian trauma of giving the guilt trip over because you can't handle all the guilt. And, but then also she'd say, please be safe. Please message me when you get home. Like she's upset at me. She doesn't understand me, but she loves me. And I think that comes down to being and we're seeing that everywhere now. Like, I keep telling my friends now with everything going on in Eretz Yisrael, if it comes to God or the Jewish people, I'm with the Jews. And obviously that's just a joke because God is everything and everywhere. But I think Jews are so beautiful. And when it comes down to it, when you go past all of our limitations, there's a deep, deep kindness and love and care because we're one. We're one. We're yeah. MS, Eretz Yisrael, B'nai Yisrael, and Tara. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of went a bit of a roundabout. All intertwined as one. No, I think it's interesting because mm-hmm. you're you actually brought it full circle to where you started at the beginning. But I would wonder if you could share a little bit more about what it is that you were seeking. Cause I think that in strengthening this question of what you were seeking and what you were looking for, we can help answer that question of identity that we wanted to frame this podcast around, talking about the question of who am I really as a Jewish person as a Hasidic person, as a person with many different facets to who I am that doesn't necessarily fit into any mold, what is my self-identity? So when you say that you wanted the essence of Hasidus, but you were wrestling with the trappings or the details of how you saw it play out around you, what was your vision then? And then we can move more to now, or you take it whichever way you want. Like you want to talk then or now, what is your vision? Let's do it that. Cause I think now you're probably going to resonate more with what you share. What is your vision of what it means to live with the Hasidus in essence? And how has that ended up panning out in your life? You've got such great ways of forming questions. I love it. I wish whenever there's like a controversial thinker, I could just press play on Tanya and you can sprout out the perfect question to draw out the essential answer. Thank you. So I think that the word you used was like what mold. And I think that ultimately what you find with MS and with identity, is that you don't need to fit into a mold. God created you. You don't need to create yourself. You don't have to fit into anything. You just have to be. You really have to be. Now, people could take that to say, let me just be whatever I want. But being whatever you want is actually not being your full self. It's following one very narrow, very bright, but very narrow path, which the Altarabha calls the Eitzahara, right? So that's part of you. And people very, very often identify that as like the part that wants to be myself. But who says that's you? 
who says that's the full you? And I think coming back to your question, that was the answer I found, which was like, that's just a part of me. I'm not scared of her. Sometimes I love her. Sometimes I'm frustrated. Sometimes she's the only one that exists, this part of me. And sometimes she has to be cared for because she was hurt. And sometimes she has to be reassured that she's not going to disappear just because things don't go her way. And actually, there's a much better way and she's going to be okay. You know, like the Yates Taiv in the Navish of Bahamas is like a really good pilot. She knows what she's doing. She actually has a better connection to your gut and your body. And she's going to take care of your Yitzhahara and your Nefesh of Bahamas. You're not going to be a poverty-stricken Jew on the streets that needs to be saved by the Baal Shem Tov. You know, like you're okay. Mm. And you're also okay if you feel like a poverty-stricken Jew that needs to be saved by the Baal Shem Tov. And you can even talk to the Baal Shem Tov about that. Sometimes I do that. Like now, recently with Eric Estrella, I just talk to Rachel Imeno all the time. Like as if she's my... BFF, like Rachel, this is seriously not okay. And I don't know where everyone else is, but you have to speak up. What is going on? It's your time to shine. Yes. Like, hello, mama, let's go. Yeah. You know, so I think that was the ultimate answer I found, which what I love about it is that it's the invitation to continue figuring out who you are because we're constantly growing and evolving. Mm. And if you just limit yourself to being the I want part of yourself. You'll never find the parts of yourself that are so much greater. My friend once said, like, everyone's looking for the real you. If you want to find the real you, you just have to look for God. And they're synonymous. Like, what if you had this conversation without saying the word God or truth or Torah? Try to have that conversation. And what comes out of it? Don't ever use the word God and, and talk about God without saying God. What are you really saying? Talk about your essence without saying me. You know, I think what you'll find is that all the molds just melt away, the neshama shines. I think, I don't know. I really don't know. Listen, I'm only, I'm only a quarter way through. I could do this podcast in another 30 <laughs> years. I'll let you know. Yeah. I think that it always evolves. That's like part of the soul itself is, you know, evolving on its journey and it's exactly where it's supposed to be right now. Exactly. And that's the whole human experience. That's literally the human experience. Like go on, evolve. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. I hope I don't just say that because I want to feel better about my very slowly evolving Yiddishkeit. But I I do think it's true. I think that's what, you know, God doesn't want angels. He's got that. He made you human. And it's hard, but that's okay. You don't have to be positive about the struggle. And as soon as you don't have that pressure, I find that it's suddenly easier to be positive. Like when you're hiking up a mountain and you think about the fact they have three hours to go and there's a baby on your back and I got to make it up here and I'm sweating enough sweat to make the Sahara desert into a forest, you know, like, no, you just focus on one step after the next and like the next second you're there, mm-hmm. you know, we're birth. We were just talking about that. You know, you don't think about the fact that you have five hours. I literally had that, like my, my past birth, I was so scared that I had hours and hours to go. And the second they told me that I was almost ready to push, I had no pain. Maybe there's like, I don't know, we could check this on Google. Maybe there's some like psychological phenomenon of like not anticipating the stress that makes it easier for your body and your psyche or vice versa, your mind and then your body to handle. I'm not sure. I love that you highlighted the safety the safety that you experience. I think that's part of the feeling of being at the end of birth or being at the end of a process is this reassurance and the safety that we're coming to the beautiful part. We're coming to the point. And when we're struggling internally, it's hard to know if we are at the point or if we're just somewhere in the never ending darkness or somewhere in the never ending process and doesn't feel like the light has come yet. And when you highlight safety, for to me, you highlight that arrival, that light, that birth, that sense that like even in that duality that we experience within different identities within ourselves, there is a safety that each part of ourselves experiences if we're fully showing up in that essential way, like from the perspective of our neshama, which is that 
the Nefesh Bahamas is not being eradicated from our lives. Our personal identities, our individuality is not being eradicated. If the soul is being expressed, it's only going to be highlighted and illuminated even further. Yes. And I love this. Yes. And yeah. that's a, a major theme in improv. That is the point. Like the point is not always the point. Like so far, no Jew has ever experienced the ultimate Mashiach, the Geula, right? That's officially the point we're working to. But the point is also the right now. Yeah. The darkness is also the light. You know, like Rev Dober Pinson has this thing where he describes the month of Cheshvan is the element of water. And he talks about a seed, that for a seed to grow, it does need light and it needs water, but it also needs darkness. It needs to be inside the, the earth. The darkness is not so bad. Not that it's not bad or painful, but being bad maybe is not so bad. Do you get what I'm saying? No, that's exactly what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Is that it's not about a further point that's coming up. It's about even though it feels like there is safety in that duality that we're currently experiencing where we don't feel that arrival, where we don't feel that birth, we don't feel that illumination. Exactly. That's where the illumination lies within our own identity and our own selves. Yes, exactly. Like Hashem is right there. Hashem is in the darkness. Hashem is in the cracks. You know, that seed has to crack and break its shell before it sprouts. You know, like, what does Leonard Cohen say? I'm totally going to butcher it, but don't be afraid of the cracks. That's how the light gets in. It's really true. The cracks are conduits for your own growth, for yourself. I also think that it's not this type of thing where you realize it and you never experience doubt or anger or lack of faith or pain again. It's that. Now you experience all of those, but you're not as lonely. And maybe you get to have a certain openness where you invite Hashem to be there with you. That's been my experience so far. And I like to verbalize that like in my mind or my words. Like The first step to the Geula with the Yidin Mitzrayim is when they cried. That's when the whole story started. Like you know, We're storytelling people. We use our voice. We get in touch with what's inside. When they cried, they were in touch with their pain. They used their voice. That's when everything started with Maisha and Hashem sent him. And that was the first step to the Geula. So I don't know. I always love that. Like, And it's not so sad to be sad. You're not alone. Yeah. And that's, that makes me kind of happy. <laughs> and then I just get happy and that's perfect. All done. It's really neat. It's a really neat yeah. process. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is a one course, just come and go. Yeah, exactly. In Five minute process. We'd be a terrible cult. <laughs> if it was that simple, that easy. But I love the fact that you brought in the Yidin tapping into their tears and their language because that inner attunement that they experienced was the beginning of their redemption. And this inner attunement that you're describing, I think I'm kind of reading between the lines because you speak in this poetic way, but this inner attunement to personal identity and individuality, I think is what you're describing. And experience. I think that they were actually in touch. They weren't in denial. They weren't being, this is really not that bad. You know, like we're going to be okay. You know, this is fine building Pharaoh's town for hundreds of years and dying and sweating. You know, you just got to think positively. Okay. I don't think they said that. Mm -hmm. They were just like, this is hell. God help me. And God said, yes, I love you. I'm helping you. Thank you for calling. Thank you for being in touch with yourself. You don't have to be in denial. And it doesn't mean that you get crushed because that's when you get redeemed. So I also think that it's not this like, I don't want to go in the opposite direction of like, it's okay to always just like feel sad and dark because that also leads onto like a horrible, um, what's it called? I live in a country where everyone speaks Spanish or Hebrew, so I'm having to adjust right now. Are you like slowly losing your English? <laughs> Como se dice? <laughs> like a downward spiral? Yeah, kind of like a spiral. I like know that's not your A looking. chain reaction. There you go. Chain reaction. You got right? it. We don't, we don't want a negative chain reaction. I think that you also, it's like the Baal Shem Tov has this thing where he says, how could Hashem say that Hashem Hashem decides the steps of man, and also your thoughts create reality. How could both of those ideas exist? And the ultimate answer is that the Aveda is to align yourself with God's reality. And when that happens, 
you truly, truly not just believe, but you think and feel in a certain way, in a way that is aligned with God's vision and understanding of the world. And when you experience emotion while in that state of alignment, it doesn't throw you off because you're holding on to something or you're, you're on solid ground. So if you see dancers, people see the most graceful, beautiful dancers actually have the strongest core. Because when you're strong in the center, you can move and you're more free. It's actually people who are not so centered and not so strong and grounded that have a much easier time falling. So I think that putting all of this into context, yes, be in touch with yourself. Don't be in denial. Let yourself feel, let yourself think, but also consciously make a decision of where you want to exist as a Jewish soul, as a human being with a mind and a heart and a body. Work on making that decision. Work on finding it out. You don't have to go and be a shepherd in Israel. Maybe you just need to sit with yourself and think with a coffee for a minute, or maybe you need to go on a drive and roam the aisles of home goods. But give yourself that time and space to meditate, so to speak, and figure out how you can get into alignment with your understanding of MS and Hashem. And for me, that happened to be Chabad Hasidus, but every Neshama with their own path. I think the metaphor of the dancer with the strong core is so beautiful because the fact that that strong base is what allows for the fluidity. And when we're feeling rigid in our movements, maybe it's because the core is struggling and we don't have to fix, we don't have to look in the mirror and try to imitate someone else's arm movements, but we have to go internally like you're describing. We have to go internally to investigate our own essence and get to know our own essence so that that can be the strongest part of us. I'd love if you could share on your own personal journey what that strong core is. Can you elaborate on the question a little bit? Are you asking like, what do I feel as my core or what do I go to to center myself when it comes to Yiddishkeit? What's the, what's the real question? My question is, is what is your core? What is your core that allows for that fluidity that you're describing? And then how you return to that core practically is a different question, but just simply what is your core? I think my core is a Jew. And I think it's important to describe what that is. Yes, it's a nationality. Me and my husband, we say we never use the R word, the religion. What is a Jew? This world is made up of godly coding. And everything in the world has its identity based on God's code. So a tree, a spruce tree, has spruce tree coding in the form of Hashem's words, right? A Jew has a Jewish soul with Jewish coding. And I show up, I interface with God's world as God's purest expression called Jew, called Yehudi. And I look back to Tara and I look back to Hasidus to find out I'm snapping. That's oh, like the. Oh. I mean, snapping. I see a Jew doing this, I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, but I don't have the money. <laughs> I'm snapping. I wanted to silently say that that was so beautiful, but I ended up saying Thank it you. out loud. Go ahead, continue. Thank you. I'll do this snapping motion. So I love in general going down to the core. So you say Jew. So what is a Jew? So a Jew is, as I was saying, in my understanding of Hasidus, the soul and body of a human being with the godly coding of Jew. So now what is that? It's a being with a purpose because every being has a purpose. A stone has a purpose, right? A Jew has Jew purpose. We should make that into sweatshirts. Yeah. Jew purpose. Just don't wear it on college campus. <laughs> but like that, Hannah, and also I found God at, in the aisle at Home Goods because you were like, maybe you can find God while walking down Home Goods. I was yeah, like, that's a good you line. never know. Yeah, you never know where you'll find him. You see a nice looking clock and it just clicks. Pumpkin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A plastic pumpkin. A plastic pumpkin. Yeah. Maybe God's on the inside. You just got to carve it out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sometimes God seeds red. You never know. Well, orange. <laughs> right. So what were we saying? You said that I asked, what is your core? And you said. Yeah. My core is Jew. That Jewish coding. Yeah. Jewish coding and also Jewish woman because God shows up in the world in masculine and feminine ways and men and women each have masculine and feminine elements to them. But I am a woman. I am made up of 
godly, feminine, Jewish code, so to speak. And I also have free choice to then tap in and express and put to work and put to use my potential as a godly Jewish feminine being. And I also have the choice to just be a person that's not tapped in and eats and lives, maybe even dances, maybe even goes to home goods, but never really taps into the potential of this code. And every single person's code has potential. Like, you know, in those shows where like the hackers are going to be the one to like find the bad guy and they, they have like these like giant screens full of code and every single letter, every comma, every plus minus sign makes a difference. So one person could tap out and say, I don't really make such a difference, right? But if everyone does that, it's like the whole code disappears. We all make a difference. I think ultimately that's what Geula is. When everyone's tapped in and optimizing their essential power as quote unquote, a code, you know, a spiritual code with infinite, infinite potential. And I think our ultimate potential is kindness but that's a very personal thing i think like you never ever damage your essence you never damage any layer of yourself by being kind so if you're not sure who you are and you're confused or lost just in the day or hour and you have the opportunity to smile at someone or be kind even to yourself or your own kid or your own spouse i find that you never ever lose And it oftentimes brings more clarity to your own purpose, you know, other than just adding a good vibe. I think it really helps you find your own center. I don't know. Maybe there's like, I don't know, the override code going back to this like muscle of some guy in the TV show. But like, I think the override code that overrides any like virus is chesed, is ava. Unless it's against Hamas, in which case I have other opinions. Yeah. Well, that's what we're seeing right now is that the way that love between Jewish people just causes everything else to melt away. And when we're really tuned into that frequency, so many other things stop mattering. And I think what's interesting too, is that it bolsters our own inner code that we have too, our own sense of identity and connection to God. Yes. Yes. I don't know how I have to figure it out, but I think (laughs) what you're saying is true. (laughs) I'm going to go back to the farm and think, (laughs) but Actually, one of our Ben Avri Hashemikam Dama was the farmer's son, and he was one of the first. He was a second soldier killed. He was in a very elite unit. Maybe we could do this in his honor. Gave his life for the Yidin. But what were we saying again? You were talking about how love is the great override code. And the The override code. There was something else I forgot. Maybe it was something in your brain connected to love, connecting to your your own inner core. I don't know. I just, I come back to that. Maybe I come back to it out of safety, but from the information I've gathered so far, it seems to be the most legit, the most wholesome, the most inclusive and understanding of the human condition. I once had a friend ask me like, why do you think this archaic ancient Torah is true? And I was much younger, but the first thing that came to my mind was like, I'm not sure yet, but from all the research I've done, the Chachamim, the mystics, the Jewish thinkers are the wisest people I've encountered. So, so far, that's what I know. I'm not sure yet. You know, now I'm pretty sure a couple of years later. That's solid. Yeah. I just want to quickly say just about obviously Yisrael, about Chesed, about love between Jewish brothers and sisters is that what's coming to mind for me that I think is like so beautifully connected to what you speak about when you speak about your own core and is that when we are connected to each other, just because we are Jewish, what we're essentially doing is acknowledging that your soul is the most important thing about you and everything else sort of falls away in my eyes when I look at you just through that lens. And that automatically means that my soul too is the most significant piece of who I am because we're connecting on that level. So when we connect with other Jewish people, just because they are Jewish, I think we each feel that awakening within us of like, oh my God, it's a recognition of another soul, but it's also a recognition of our own soul and the significance it plays in our own identity and in our own lives. Yes, that was so gorgeous. Exactly. Like 
everything literally melts away. It's almost a joke. Like how, how did I even think that? Like, this is the most beautiful being. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Snap. So then I want to ask you about when it doesn't melt away, because there are definitely times in our life when it feels like everything else melts away and we have extreme clarity about that core and that Jew code within us. And we really feel it rise up. And something sweet that I saw by Khani Lisbon, who's a comedian on social media, after everything going on in Israel, she posted, being Jewish is my entire personality right now. And I thought it was a great modern day description for like, my soul is awake. Everything else doesn't seem to matter. Every other part of my identity doesn't seem to matter. The only thing that matters right now to me is that I am a Jew. And that's what's described in Tanya's. When we interact with persecution, the Jewish soul just jumps awake no matter what else is going on. But when we are going through our daily lives, we don't experience that level of connection with our core necessarily. And we do have a lot of other pieces of our identity. And even if anyone who is listening throughout this experience with Israel did feel that experience of like being Jewish is my entire personality is the only identity that matters. Whenever real life comes rushing back in, there are so many other identities that matter to us that might seem to either conflict or at the very least distract us from that core that you described, that strong inner core, which is just, I am a Jew. I just love how you ask questions. The first thing that comes to my mind is don't stop, drop, and roll. This is not a fire. It's okay. Like, that's also very human. It's supposed to happen. Like, this is supposed to happen. And I think that it's a dance. It's a dance that there's two sides to it. On the one hand, we have different parts of our personality. Like, the way you interact with a stranger or like a flight attendant, Mm -hmm. like, there's a reason why you have that kind of like persona. You know, like you're not going to be your full self with a flight attendant. There's a reason why we interact a certain way with certain people. There's good reasons and there's wounded reasons. And it's okay to fluctuate between them. That's very human. We're not supposed to be these like solid state. I feel like our generation has a lot of that because we grew up, let's say, watching movies or reading books where the characters stay the characters and the plot line kind of changes, but like they never change really. And it's like, You're looking at a screen for 90 minutes and like, you see the same person talking in the same way with the same inflection. And that's so static. I know it's like a film, a moving picture, but it's so static. And I feel like maybe that's why we have this expectation of ourselves to find the point, like we were talking about before. Like you're not always going to find the point. You're not always going to be your essence. And that's also you. There's many parts, you know, there's 12 shvatim. There wasn't one. My mom always says there's a tribe inside. There's a tribe of you and it's okay. You can embrace that, be kind to it. And also on the flip side, you can challenge it. And I think that just like being physically fit takes a lot of work, a lot of work. Being spiritually fit takes a lot of work and it's practice. And this is something I'm working on so recently, which is like, I missed a day of exercise spiritually. That's okay. I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to do it again. I'm not going to give up. And maybe I'll give up a little bit, but then I'm not going to give up on the fact that maybe I gave up. I'm going to, I'm going to go in again. I'm going to spiritually exercise and it takes practice. And I think it's challenging ourselves and asking uncomfortable questions sometimes where like we started in the beginning where you think that the real me is the nefesh of Bahamas me, the I. And I think that part of the work, part of the practice is challenging ourselves and asking, is this the real me? Is this who I am? And maybe the answer is yes. And And maybe the answer is no. And maybe the answer is in this moment, but tomorrow I want something else. And I want is such a powerful thing. You know, when we moved on Shluchas, there were so many challenges. And I don't know who said this to me, maybe my cousin. She said like, well, what do you really want? And I was so afraid to think of what I really wanted. And what I really wanted was not to live in an Airbnb with no doors on the bedrooms and no kitchen. Like I really wanted to have a kitchen and a washing machine. I really wanted that. And it just became so clear. Like as soon as I had a clear understanding of my Ratzain, I was able to work towards it. And the challenge of not having it got so much easier. And within a few weeks, we found a house and I have a washing machine, you know? It's like, you know, that story, I don't know which Rebbe it is, but this Chassid for years, he's coming to Chassidus, to Yecheres. 
and he's stressed in traditional Hasidic garb for Yechidus. And this one year, he decides, I feel like I'm fooling my Rebbe. Because during the whole year, I wear regular clothes. And I come to Yechidus and I pretend. And I come looking like this pious, beautiful Jew. And this year, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be my real self. I'm not going to pretend anymore. Brave guy, right? Comes to the Rebbe, goes into Yechidus, and the Rebbe asks him, why are you dressed this way? And he tells the Rebbe exactly what he thought. And the Rebbe said, the difference that I see is that I thought the rest of the year you were pretending. And in this room, you were your true self. So I think that sometimes it is very difficult to answer and say to ourselves and be honest and say, that's actually not the real me. It's 99% of me all the time. And I like it and I want it. I want to dress like this, but it's not the real me. And I struggle with this so much. I have so many parts of my personality that I mean, I live in the jungle. I want to dress like a jungle mama and I don't want to cover my hair. I want to be free like that. And I struggle with myself to say, I want, but yes, and is that me? And then I go into, well, who is me? And we come back to, I am, I am Jew. I am a Jew. So I think we have both to answer your question. Sometimes it's being gentle and embracing ourselves and understanding that there's a tribe inside and there's so many different parts to who you are. And sometimes using your Bina Yaseira, I would say, I think women have that more, to know when to ask yourself, is this really the real me? And everyone will have different answers and you might have different answers at different times in your life. And sometimes, this is what I learned from my Mishpia, what might seem like the wrong answer is also okay. Like it's okay to fall, you know? Yeah. Good. She's amazing. You've had her on. She's Rachel Holtzgetter. Mm. She's definitely been like one of my greatest teachers ever. She's like God's messenger to tell you that he doesn't judge the code. He wrote it. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> he created that essence. Yeah. Yeah. God's like there with this like giant bottle of soda, like doing exactly what I wanted it to do. <laughs> right on track. Exactly. You describe 12 tribes inside. And I wonder if there's a way or if there has been a way in your own life to find integration between all those parts so that it doesn't feel like a disjointed identity, but feels... Right. I don't feel like there's 12 inside. Yeah, it's a that, That's a, it's just that's a personality the disorder. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's one and a half. Okay. But I think it's the same answer as before. It's like I come back to my essence. For me, it's very grounding to be married to someone who's so okay being. He has such clear understanding of who he is, what God is. And is very genuinely positive and not toxic, positive. So for me, that's very grounding because he's like this very rooted mind and soul. And I get to be the dancer moving around so I can like explore and wonder and rebel in my mind and heart. But I come back to my core and I feel this emotional and spiritual safety and clarity, total clarity. You know, like you could be out to dinner and have like a glass of wine and you're like a little bit foggy, a little hazy, like you're not thinking great. And then you walk outside and you get like this stunning fresh air in your face and you just like snap back into yourself. So for me, being in a holy marriage has really done that. Having the masculine side of the world, living with that understanding has been so grounding spiritually and emotionally. And growing, growing, listening, listening to people. I love listening to people. You don't have to agree. You just will benefit from listening. And you do not have to agree. I have friends with so many different opinions. And there's so much beauty in just being together. It creates a beautiful energy. And you can disagree on everything. It's not about agreeing. Just listening, learning. I know that I don't know everything. Almost everything, but not everything. There's so much here because something that I would love to hear you speak about is how 
the animal soul explores sometimes on behalf of the godly soul and that the godly soul Mm. is a core, but it doesn't always feel so stable, I guess. And I know that a lot of people experience that and it's not always actually falling, but it's really getting further in touch with the authentic godly voice, the Torah, Hashem. Sometimes there's a language, like even when we speak about identity, we speak about coming back to our real core, which is our godly soul. And also I think that sometimes it doesn't look like that rooted energy that we wish it did. I actually don't think that the real you is only your godly soul. I think the real you is the integration of both. Mm, Well said. And it's also you when you're not integrated. That's also the real you. We're messy people. We're messy beings. When God, Hashem benched Avram, you know, that his descendants will be like the the sand. And he was so upset, right? And he he said, you know, why does it have to be like this? And Hashem said, don't worry. They're also going to be like the luminaries. But actually being like the earth is really good. That's where things grow. That is the real you. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's this poetic little story of like, there's the good guy and the bad guy. And don't worry, the good guy is always going to win the bad guy. And then you're going to be the real you. It's like, no, this is the real you. And one's not good and one's not bad. It's just God. They're both God. And that's you. That's Jew. Together. Right. Yes, we have work to integrate the two. But it's not that there's a part of you that's you and there's a part of you that's not you. Yes, exactly. That wouldn't make sense. 1000%. And I think you said that perfectly because I think it's really painful for anyone to experience that there's a part of myself that is not legitimately me. There's a part of myself that's a threat to who I truly am. When in essence, I think it's a part of myself that is wanting to be channeled to the deepest part of who I am as opposed to needing to be alienated in any way, even just in the way I perceive my own identity. Yes. Yeah. And you know, the godly soul also has to be channeled. True. They both do. Into the physical world. You got to be a shepherd. Yeah. You got to shepherd your flock. So true. The godly, yes. Yeah. I can't just sit out all day meditating. Like you wouldn't survive past a couple of days. And God wants us. God wants you as a physical, complex human being with your story. He wrote your story. He wrote it. He's a confusing author and the plot lines don't always make sense, but it's not false. It's not a lie. It's not a war. I don't think there's like this huge battle. That was also something I think I was running away from in the beginning of the podcast. We talked about that. Like, I didn't like this idea that like you had to banish a part of yourself in order to be quote unquote good. What did that mean? Like, so part of me, like you were saying now, like, so part of me is like this, like little, you know, there's a virus in the code and I have to get rid of it. It's like, no, this is, this is just an integration exercise, 120 years of integration. Yeah. Yeah. And listening, listening to yourself, giving space, you know, the parts of you that are wounded need to be heard too. They don't need to be the driver, but they need to be heard. Yeah. And maybe if we trained our godly soul to be a little bit more compassionate to our animal soul, the animal wouldn't feel so lost and rejected. It would feel welcomed and excited. Like the rowdy kid in the class, if you give them any sense of rejection, like they're going to leave and they're going to go and they're going to make something of themselves, but they're not going to be integrated in your program, in your class you know, but if you welcome their spirit and you show them their strengths, you know, they'll be the greatest asset. Yeah. I think a a non-controversial desire of the animal soul that helps you understand it is hunger because physical hunger is something that we all agreed does not need to be alienated is a very healthy urge and something that we want to honor and respect and nurture consistently. And it, is literally the channel through which the godly soul is able to be expressed. Like you said, the godly soul too needs to harness something and needs to harness the animal soul. And I think that we all have many hungers within our animal soul that's unique to us. 
and it's not a danger, a threat to the godly soul. And earlier in the podcast, when you were talking about the relationship between those two identities or between the different parts of ourselves, I don't know if you, like you saw me, I was getting emotional because the safety and the kindness with which those different parts of ourselves can interact is a way forward as opposed to a way of further alienating ourselves from ourselves. Yes. I would take it even a step further and I would say it's not just not a hindrance. It's also an asset. Of course. Yes. Like food is not just like, okay, yeah. you know, eat a little cracker and butter and survive. You yeah. know? I mean, look, all of our Russian great grandmothers probably thought that. And maybe that's why we have that same approach to our spiritual health, you know, just survive. Yeah. But it's actually such a great tool. Like the foods you eat and the chemicals you consume, what you put on your skin. I mean, if there's mold in a house, the kind of lighting, the electronics, they affect the shape of your brain. It's scientifically proven. It affects your functioning. It affects your psyche. It affects your spirit. It affects your descendants. My Dr. Rebbe told us this already, but science proves it now. Like It's not just not a hindrance. It's such an asset and we just have to harness it. I think the word survival that you used was so insightful, Hannah, because I think that I don't know where it comes from, but it is a survival mode, both physically and spiritually, which is like the bare minimum is okay. And not only is okay, but maybe even encouraged in our own hearts. And that example of like, is a cracker enough? A cracker is technically enough, but we all agree that we don't want a cracker, that our godly soul needs our animal soul not to eat a cracker and just survive, but needs it to be nourished, healthy, delicious, beautiful meals. So, so happy and joyous and like, Happy to be in God's world. Alive. Like Peter Gerba said, the world is a garden. Like this is beautiful. Enjoy being here. There's a difference between gluttonous and being healthy. Yeah. You know, you eat a burger very differently than you do a really healthy miso soup that's dense in nutrients and was made with love and like 33,000 ingredients. They're both food. They're both a lot of something, but one is intentional and energetically positive. And one is like a quick fix. Spiritual food is like that too. And you said something interesting. You said, just have the bare minimum, but it's also like someone else's version of the bare minimum. Right. Right. Like when I went on Shlokos, I was like, I am not one of these people. How do they do it? And I'm sure there have been and will be many shluchas who can go and live for a year without a washing machine and without a kitchen. They do it. They do it. These people go to Africa. I mean, like I live in a beautiful place and stunning community and I I have so many things and I was still struggling because for me, my bare minimum looks very different. And I think that it's very important to figure out what's your bare minimum for everything, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and I'm still figuring that out. You know, coming from a culture influenced by Russian trauma in so many things. It's like, you have to retrain your inner voice of like, what's your bare minimum and then some to be okay. Right? Like, yes. And yes, you need a kitchen and a washing machine. And it would also be nice to X, Y, Z, right? Like, yeah. Getting out of that scarcity mindset in a way that's aligned with godliness. Right? Jews are the original manifestation nation. Yeah. Now it's the whole in thing, but we really have that of like, you're aligned with godliness and you can then manifest the things that are healthy for you physically and spiritually. I haven't tried it yet, but I, I've heard it. Yeah, it works. Heard it works. <laughs> yeah. We're like, I think this, yeah, we, we think this works. I have to say that when going for the bare minimum, like I'm on that train, as long as the bare minimum is the most healthy, alive, joyful version of you. Love it. The bare minimum is not like kitchen washing machine. Like Hannah, you too. Like, no, 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 no. Of course that's not what you meant, but I'm saying- Oh, I was joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I know, I know, I know. But I'm saying, I think that very often a lot of women get into this mindset where they actually do the bare minimum. Like they do the cracker lifestyle, but not, I don't mean physically cracker, but I mean, emotionally, energetically, like every element of themselves, like bare minimum lifestyle. It's no bare minimum, bare minimum for your godly soul to shine is the most alive, healthy, vibrant version of you. And anything less than that is below the bare minimum. (laughs) Yes. 
And ironically, the person who taught me this is a man. My father-in-law is the champion of women being really happy and well taken care of. Bigashmias. Before every yamtif, he sends out a message to the family reminding all the husbands to buy their wife's jewelry, mm. to buy the kids' toys. Sweet. He's constantly checking in and in touch with the fact that you came here to be a spark of light. Yes, and also to be a really happy, healthy, joyful person. We should make another t-shirt that says like, I'm not a cracker gal. I'm not a cracker girl. Yeah. Also, you want that that ceviche. (laughs) It's that if you want that spark of light to shine so brightly, it needs the most healthy, wholesome container in order to do that. There, It is not two distinct identities like living side by side. It's one and the same. And it's It's, also holy. It's not just for the sake of being holy. Like being human for the sake of being holy is not the whole picture. It's being human is holy. It's really holy. Like go be happy, feel good. But when you were speaking about the coding, by the way, you said, I am a Jewish body and soul. And that struck me. Like, it's not just, I am a Jewish soul. It's, I am a Jewish body and soul. And both of those things are true. Yeah. And I think that it's not like an elitist thing, although I am so grateful to be a Yid. I think that when you understand that Hashem is the energy behind every being, you also look at Gayim differently. You look at animals, you look at trees, and like you look at the sky differently. This is God showing up as cloud. This is God showing up as a Hindu person. That's also a manifestation of godliness. Yeah. You look at your body differently. You know, the whole self love thing. We could have a whole separate discussion on that. There's pros and cons to it. But I think that a way to bypass the whole negative side is to really say, I am a godly being. This is a body God created. It doesn't always work. Half half. Chetzi chetzi. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I can't believe an hour has passed because I still want to ask you so many questions and especially just about all the practical ways that this idea shows up for you in your life. Come to Costa Rica. We'll talk. Jungle life. No, but even for the benefit of the people, like everyone needs to hear this. Not just me. I'm not selfish. (laughs) That will be our next t-shirt. I'm not selfish. Get me a cracker. What's the advice that you would give to anyone who is struggling to show up as their godly soul in an intuitive way that feels really aligned with every part of who they are? I would say don't underestimate the power of being heard. It's a very godly experience. Try and find people and places that can hold you fully, emotionally and spiritually. Sometimes people are friends, but they can't necessarily hold space for your whole self, your human self and your holy self. Find that place. It could be a diary. It could be a therapist. It could be a parent. It could be a friend. For me, it's definitely friends. And my mashpia is like a sister. So I'm lucky in that department. But I would suggest allowing yourself to be heard, which it could be really scary, actually. I find that a lot of us are afraid to speak from inside, to speak out loud, and to speak from really deep inside, like deep in that part of you that's supposed to be your strong core, like that dancer. That part has a really strong voice. And sometimes we as women in this age are really scared to bring that voice up. I would say, don't be afraid. Find the right people. And I'm almost sure that when you find the right people in place and you allow your insides to come outside, you'll have a much clearer view of who you really are. And you'll have a much clearer understanding of how to integrate all the parts of yourself in a way that feels joyful and healthy and happy physically, emotionally, and spiritually. There shouldn't be a dissonance in any part I think there will be a balance, a real teferis. And that's like your own personal Mashiach. That's a ge'ula. Nice. There's like a revelation. Yeah. You feel like that aha mm. for yourself. And yeah, I bless everybody to really have the right people around them and to feel like they're beautiful and worth it to, to show up as your real self. You're human and you're holy and you're beautiful. 
Beautiful. I love that you ended yeah. with let yourself be heard and witness. Cause I think that just as you beautifully described when you're fully heard and seen for every part of who you are, you feel that synthesis and you experience like the okayness of all those different parts and the way that they come together because you show up as your whole self. If someone receives you as your whole self, then you can kind of like see it reflected back. So that was beautiful. Exactly. Exactly. Literally, that's what it is. Yeah. And you just see this like one glorious, beautiful heart. And then God falls in love with us and he brings Mashiach. So yeah. get on that. Let's do it. All right. Thank you so Let's do much. It. Loved this. Such a yeah, such, this was amazing. Yes. And come visit us in the jungle. I'm not joking. Come visit. Oh my gosh. I'm so in. <laughs> yeah. Jungle, here we go. I'll like text you details. Okay. Yeah. It's crazy, but it's so worth it. We'll give you like fresh coconuts every morning. Uh, your kids will be like in heaven. Elokai zakinina betoratcha uvimitzotecha lechaberet nishmati tamidilecha mechaber mechaber. If you enjoyed today's episode and it sparked something for you, touched your heart or touched a raw nerve or just got you thinking, I want to invite you to keep this godly conversation going. Share the episode with a friend. Tag us on social media with your follow-up thoughts. Let's get the truths of Torah into the atmosphere. The world needs it right now more than ever. You can email us at info at humanandholy.com. Find us on Instagram at humanandholy. And you can sponsor an episode or give it any amount through our site, humanandholy.com slash sponsor. New episodes of the podcast come out every single Sunday morning. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single one. And while you're at it, feel free to leave us a five-star rating. It helps other people find the podcast and it brings us joy. Thanks for listening and we'll talk next week.